my four-year-old is going through a phase of every night she wants the same amount of pages of her book that we're reading read. So it has to be four or four chapters every single night. And if you try and do three or five, nope, has to be four. She sounds like she's picking up a little bit of her mum's OCD. Oh my god! Okay, I do love. It. Actually, that's so true. I love the number four. You do I didn't everything think about that. Fours. I don't know if that's a good thing. Really? Yeah. I Amazing. Do. Got two more babies to have, Kate. Um. Okay. Hang on. Slow down a minute there. Welcome to Talking in Common, a podcast of all things lifestyle, family, motherhood, relationships, kids and culture. This is not a how-to, but an insight into the lives of ourselves and others and how we all manage to get by. So take a listen and let's find out what we all have in common. Hi guys and welcome back to another episode of Talking in Common. I'm Kate and as always I'm joined by my lovely co-host Sophie. Hi babe. Hi babe. Here we are. <laughs> back again. We're back. How are you today? Good. Yeah, I've been battling with clipping Honey's nails this morning. It's like the hardest task oh my in my God. life right now. It is seriously <laughs> so hard. Wait till she's a toddler too and then you can't even get her to sit still. It's a nightmare. I just get so nervous. I'm going to clip off her little finger. Like every time I go to press the clipper, I'm just like, oh, God. Anyway, we've got much more interesting things to talk about than that. So today we are going to be talking about the many stigmas that come along with the way you choose to feed your newborn baby, whether it be breast or bottle, as well as some of the early parenting shame that too many of us experience. It's really such a big thing, isn't it? Like I've only just obviously discovered this since having a baby, but you know, the tough decisions in those early days that you deal with on your own anyway, they really come with a lot of these negativity attached to it and it's hard not to feel some sort of shame based on a lot of this outside influence and opinion. So I think just, you know, having a conversation about it today hopefully will ease some tension for some parents in those early first few weeks with a little newborn. I hope so. So we are also going to catch up with a very special guest, midwife Catherine Curtin. So Kath is over 40 years experience as a midwife and a maternal and child health nurse. She's been a wealth of knowledge to us both throughout our parenting journey so far. So it'll be great to chat to her. But first, let's find out what we have in common this week. Let's. I reckon actually what we should talk about, what we actually do have in common is midwife Kath. That's such a, you're so right. That is such a good idea. <laughs> I have to be thankful to you for recommending her to me and making me aware of her. She's got two wonderful books that I read cover to cover thoroughly and actually still use her books as a little reference on my bedside so table. Great, aren't they? Yeah, I just go back to the chapters that of the age that Honey's at and just reassure myself with some of the development stages, some of the things that is very common for them to be doing at that age. And I just find it really reassuring that I'm on the right track. So that's amazing. Well, what I really love about Kath is she has a really, a very practical, no fuss approach to a lot of her methods, which I love. Mm. And I find that really works for me. And, you know, she really is all about the basics, mm, mm-hmm. which is great. So I met Kath actually nearly five years ago through my obstetrician mm-hmm. and I was lucky enough to have Kath with me at both of my births. So special. Oh, so special. And she was just such an amazing, you know, support. It was a really special experience. You know, she also really helped me 
with, uh, you know, a lot of feeding issues with my breastfeeding journey. She helped me with my postnatal care and checkups. Mm -hmm. And we also followed her BBB or the bath, bottle and bed routine, which is something that I know you did as well, which you do that every night at 10 Mm p.m., which so many people go, oh, my God, you put your newborn baby to bed at 10 o'clock, but there is method in her madness and it really worked for me. Yeah, it helped me as a mum and it helped Aiden as a dad just to know that that was the one thing that we were going to do every night and that became our routine. And, yeah, it's late at night and all that sort of thing, but who the fuck knows what time it is when you've got a newborn anyway. I know, they're not going to go to bed at 6 o'clock and stay asleep all night, are they, right? No. <laughs> um, so. I also loved my husband actually did the 10pm bath and bottle with both my girls and it was such a nice bonding time for them. Yeah, well, that's right too. I must admit though, I did fight it for a little while. We did eventually implement a bottle of formula for honey once she was about one month old um, because already I was experiencing some of these, you know, some of this sort of shame around choosing to feed your baby formula rather than breast milk, especially when I was quite lucky or successful with my breastfeeding experience. I was producing milk and it was working and even though it was really hard in the beginning and really painful and all that sort of thing, I got through that and it was successful. So then to make that choice purely based on sort of relieving myself, I felt so guilty about it. And so I have experienced this sort of shame or guilt firsthand. It really is a thing, isn't it? And people really like to share their opinions on what you are doing and how you're doing it. And often people can say things that, you know, they're well-intentioned, but it comes out the wrong way. And Mm. I think as a new mom, you're so vulnerable and it can really, really upset you and then make you feel really guilty and really insecure about your choices. Mm, I agree. So I think that's, you know, a lot of what has sort of inspired us to do this episode today was this sort of early parenting shame. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think I was telling you the other week that I caught up with a friend at the park and she was telling me about her breastfeeding experience with her daughter when she was a newborn and she said she was so determined to breastfeed that's what she wanted to do and she was having a lot of issues with breastfeeding Mm -hmm. and she kept persisting and she did say you know she had a really unsettled baby but she just sort of thought maybe that's just my baby's just unsettled and she kept you know feeding but what she didn't realize was she barely had any milk so her daughter was just starving, mm. but she kept persisting and eventually she went to get some help and the maternal health nurse said to her, you really need to give your baby a bottle. And as soon as they gave the bottle, she said she just watched her daughter kind of, her, her whole body just relax. Oh, wow. And then she just, you know, you can imagine she felt this guilt. She said, oh, mm. my God, I've been starving my baby. But the whole time she said she was just so worried about being judged mm. if she was to bottle feed. Mm. Isn't that terrible? Like she's obviously just been through this horrible experience of feeling like she was starving her baby when all she was doing was trying to do her best. And then to feel guilty about having to feed her child milk, you know, formula, like feel guilty about that. The next best thing, hey? Yeah, it's just crazy. She also said that, you know, so she did obviously then start to bottle feed, but she said that at home whenever she would have friends or family over, she would hide the bottles and the formula because she felt so ashamed and was so you know, worried about what other people would think. And that's just a terrible feeling. And it really brought me back to my experience with 
Lulu when I was having a lot of issues breastfeeding her and I ended up having to make the decision to stop and exclusively just formula feed. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I just felt so guilty and I was – I was just, I guess, worried about other people's judgments and what they would think because mm. people do make comments. Like someone said to me, are you feeding your baby? I mean, what do you mean by that? Mm-mm. You mean, am I <laughs> breastfeeding? And it's really none of your business. Yeah. It can be a really tough time those early, mm. early few months. Mm. I mean, I can hear the desperation in your voice when you are reminding yourself of that time. Like it really is a way too common story, you know, this sort of guilt over the decisions you make and and also the story like you mentioned about your friend. I think the first time around with your first baby, you're doing your best to try and breastfeed them and a lot of women do struggle with the lactation and the milk production and all yeah. and all of your hormones We're all different. and everything. We're all completely different. Yeah, right? absolutely. And there's so many other things that come into play in those times. I had no issues breastfeeding my daughter Nina, mm. and I mean, it took me a you know a good while to establish a really good feeding routine and and getting her to latch on properly. All of that it was very painful did take us a while, but I had no issues. But it was completely different the second time around. So I felt like I was completely clueless and had no idea what I was doing. You know, you think you've done it once that you'll know the second time and I really didn't. Mm. So it just shows how much it can change from one baby to the next. Yeah. Like when you said before that your friend was sort of hiding the bottles of formula and things like I'm just thinking, even I had a moment of that, you know, like I said, well, I have been, like I said, my experience with breastfeeding honey has been quite successful and I'm still breastfeeding her now and I really enjoy it. It's a really beautiful, special bonding thing that we share now and I adore it. But in the beginning, like I said, we we made the decision to give her a bottle of formula at night based on midwife Kath's BBB routine and you can also give um, breast express breast milk. You can, of course, that doesn't know about her um, routine as well. If that is your choice, yeah, you can most definitely. But you know, part of the theory behind giving the baby a bottle of formula is so the mum can have a rest. And yep. I must be honest, I definitely liked the idea of that at the time because you're so exhausted. You need it. You need it anyway. We, so we decided to do that after a month, but because I was proud of breastfeeding her and that I, and because I actually was feeding her I did feel guilty about that choice to give her a bottle of formula and I did feel like I was trying to hide it away sometimes because I I didn't really want people to judge me based on that when I was breastfeeding at the same time. So I totally can relate. And then like you say, from one baby to the next, it's completely different experience again. So you just you just have to do whatever is right for you and your family and your baby. And it is so true. not worry about what people say or what people think because who cares at the end of the day? Exactly. It's whatever works best for you and your family, as you said. And mm. at the end of the day, fed is best. So as long as your baby is fed, that is what is the most important thing. One of the other things that I wanted to mention was that I saw this photo that Katie Perry had posted on Instagram and it was just a couple of days after she had given birth to her little brand new baby daughter, Daisy Dove. How's the name, by the way? I love the name and I know I know the photo that you're talking about. Yeah. That was so great that she posted that. Yeah, I just thought that it was worth mentioning because there was so much press and media attention around it. And I just think it's 
so important for someone with such a huge influence to show their reality in that time. Well, considering, you know, celebrities or people in the public eye tend to post images once they've had a newborn baby that aren't like that, you know, Mm. that give this really unrealistic image out there to people about the way or how quickly you should recover or how quickly you should look, you know, after you've just had a newborn baby. Mm. And it's very different for everyone, but I love that she shared this photo that really showed her in the thick of that newborn phase, you know. She was, uh, got she the was double expressing milk, yeah, expressing got the disposable underpants on. Like she was really in the in the thick of it. It was great that she shared. It was refreshing, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it is just refreshing. Like there is great people out there as well, like huge advocates for, you know, real mums and real stories and, and real people. But for someone like her, yeah, just with such a huge following and, yeah, I just found it quite sort of reassuring and refreshing. Yeah, it was so great. So I think that you and I could waffle on about this sort of stuff (laughs) all day, but really why we're here is because we had such a wonderful chat with midwife Kath and she has such great insight into, you know, a lot of these topics that we're exploring lately. So let's not hold off. Let's find out what she had to say. Kath, welcome to Talking in Common. How are you? Very good. Hi, Kate. Hi, Soph. Hi, Hi. Kath. So nice to see you and hear from you. Lovely to see you too. It's been way too long. I know. So, Kath, we're so looking forward to chatting with you. You've truly played such a huge role in my parenting journey so far. And this season, we're really focusing on exploring everything about early motherhood, the transition into becoming a mother and also a lot of the stigmas and shame that come along with parenting in general, but particularly in the early stages. And we both know firsthand you have so much knowledge and insight into these topics. So we are truly excited to have you here today. So happy to be talking to you both. So, Kath, I wanted to jump right in and touch on this transition phase that Kate mentioned. I really believe that it's a truly monumental change in a woman's life. And I'm really interested to hear from you. What's your view on this transition phase? Well, I think it's one of the most significant changes in our life. Mm. If you think about you know, even, I mean, we go on about adolescence or we we talk about, you know, leaving school, going to university, but having a baby changes our body and it also changes our mind. Plus we have the total responsibility of another life. So Mm. that makes some women quite anxious. It's quite confronting. So I think it's so big and it's always been something thing that I have wanted to help women sort of mature in with the mothering because you need emotional arms around you Mm. from another woman. And it's not saying men don't get it. It's not about that at all. Mm. It's about having the space, you know, in me to actually be able to help and hold you Mm. when you're either distressed or you're anxious or you're happy. You know, it's just such a, it's such a profound moment and years in your life. And there are some people who have never seen or touched a newborn baby. So it's, uh, it can be very difficult, but it's significant. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like this phase is overlooked a little bit in our society or in our culture? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think your generation, I think we're letting you down. I'm concerned that 
there's not a lot of sort of basic primitive parenting taught mm. to you mm, by using so true yeah by using your gut and using you know what you think is actually right for your baby because we've got google and girlfriends in our head like it's just that's where we go to rather than going to our village and asking for help now when i'm in someone's corner and helping them there's nothing better than watching a woman grow in being a mother because I understand it so well and I know what's actually going to happen next year too. So it's it's not about just helping women in the present. It's about preparing for the future. Mm, absolutely. absolutely. You gave me so much, you know, support and guidance, Kath, in those early stages for both of my daughters and I really feel like having that, you know, extra support from an external person who was just there to, you know, help me stay positive and reassure me that, you know, I was doing a really good job was just really made, I guess, my parenting experience just a really really nice experience for me because there are really, really hard times and it's it's so unknown, especially the first time when you become a mother. So, you know, I felt really lucky. And, and it's a gift to be able to help women. You know, I, I feel that. But do you know what? I felt anxious when I became a mother, because, which is, you know, it's like I know about everyone else and how to help everyone else. Yeah. But it was it was, again, a bit confronting and, you know, I had a lot of anxiety myself because I I sort of felt like I had to know what to do. Yeah, of course, being a midwife as well. Because I was a midwife and because I was so into helping and parenting and um, being with women, it was like you should find it easy. But what mm. happens is that my body changed like everyone else and my mind changed like everyone else and I had anxieties too. So that changed me as, mm. you know, in my practice. It's sort of like you get a secret wink to someone else who's a mum and they get it. When you haven't had a child and they're pregnant, you're like, oh, it's, it's just beautiful. Yeah. And once you get into that group of being a mum, it's lovely. But until you're there, yeah, you don't get it, do you? You don't mm. get that little wink of what the whole process is. What was your experience like, Kath? Tell us a little bit more about um, the time when you became a mother. Who did you have around you? What support did you have? I... Uh, decided to go it alone and that's 27 years ago and it was still a little bit uh-oh. and it was an easy decision for me and, and my son's got a good relationship with his father but it's it was just what I wanted to do. Mm. When I told my parents I was pregnant I moved home straight away because I had amazing parents and my mother said you know you just need to be home and so I moved home and stayed there for three years after I had wow. my son and I couldn't have been better cared for because of the nurturing nature of both my parents but still it was it was hard because of other people I know it sounds weird but maybe you understand what I mean that outside pressures and judgments exactly you know yeah. and um and I actually felt very anxious and mm. my son had reflux and there was no treatment for reflux in those days. And so I didn't <sighs> sleep for probably eight months. But you know what? There's a talk around being solo. And today there's a lot of women who who parent alone through the IVF program mm. and they don't even yeah. have another person to parent with, which I did. But I look back now in 45 years of nursing, I've had one year off to have 
my own child. And I think I would do it exactly the same way. And I also, every single day, every single day, my mantra was, I want to make this the best day for my son. And so every single day, even if it wasn't too happy or I was sad or whatever, we watched, you know, funny movies. Or So I was very um, mindful of being present and also loving and caring, of course, but um, very aware of me being the significant person in my son's life. And because of that, I wanted him to have a great life. What a lucky boy Lockie is to have you as his mum. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I am too. And I, and I know it sounds weird, but, you know, parenting alone is hard at some level, but it's also easy, you know, because you're just doing what you want to do. But, uh, you know, and to this day, we're both extremely close. He's married. And I thought he'd live with me till he was about 50. But, you know, no, at 25, <laughs> we got married. <laughs> you're not a grandmother yet, though, right? I not yet, but not you know, yet. Yeah. I'm waiting. <laughs> I bet you are. <laughs> I've got the back room packed with clothes. <laughs> <laughs> we want to get more into some of the stigmas attached to early parenting and yep. also feeding your baby. So, yep. why do you think there's so much controversy around the way women choose to feed their baby? Well, it's actually the way it is now is if you breastfeed your baby, you're a good mother. If you don't breastfeed your baby, and like I'm not saying this, people don't say it, it's inferred, mm. but women feel it. Mm. And there is... Oh, so true. So, my goodness. And they they go to a point where the baby can actually get quite unwell and you've got to say enough, you know, like this is enough. Lactation in itself is beautiful and it's and, and it's so great to be able to do it. Not everyone wants to do it. Not everyone can sustain it. And there's different circumstances for everyone, but it doesn't make us better people. It tells our story as a mother, but it doesn't make us better than someone who doesn't do it. You know, when I do consultations with women, I always say, what sort of milk are you giving your baby? Because if I say, are you still breastfeeding? It's sort of like I can nearly, I could hear them go, oh, mm. you know. But if you say it in a way, how are you giving your baby milk? And they say, oh, well, I'm giving formula. Great. What formula? Or breastfeeding? Well done. You're doing well. So it's also the way it's Positive presented. reinforcement. Yeah, it's presented. And it shouldn't be a shameful thing. It's, you know, parenting's for life and it doesn't change a relationship if you if you don't breastfeed. I felt so much insecurity and guilt when I had to give up feeding my second baby Lulu at a you know I think she was only eight weeks old or maybe even six weeks old and I think a lot of it really came down to external judgments and pressure from other people because people would say you know are you feeding your baby well, well of course I'm feeding my baby but do you mean am I breastfeeding and well I'm not anymore because I can't. And then, mm. you you know, you tend to feel this sense of guilt and it's nothing to feel guilty about, you know. You've got to do what you've got to do, what's best for the mum and best for the baby, I really believe. I think feeling guilty as a mother, for some reason we carry that feeling that we should 
be guilty, but no one's a perfect parent. No one. You know, we all have our ups and downs. You know, walking down the street, someone's saying, are you feeding your baby, which is code for are you breastfeeding? And Mm. is the baby sleeping, which is code, are you a good mother? (laughs) You know? Babies in sleep, I tell you. Everyone wants to know, how's the baby sleeping? It's like the baby's, you know. The baby's sleeping how it's A sleeping. week old. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. I wonder yeah. why we use that phrase, like I slept like a baby, because often babies don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> they Makes don't. No sense. And, you know, that's so true, Soph. And, you know, there's so much literature as in books and blogs written now, especially mm. by people who have had a child and maybe no medical background and the expectation that women have that their babies have to sleep all night and all day. And if they did that, they would be actually very unwell, the babies. So they have Mm. to have so much milk because their body and their brain's growing so much. And I think explaining that to women takes the pressure off them that they don't sleep all day until they're sort of moving a bit more on the floor, which makes sense. I really love um, a lot in your practice, especially in the early days, that you really just encourage to feed love and play with your baby and just basically do that on repeat. And that resonated so well with me. I I really took that on board and practiced that myself for sure yep. and didn't sort of start to implement sleeping routines during the day until later on. And, you know, that just mm. felt like it felt right from my heart and my soul, you know, just to love, make mm. sure my baby's warm and fed and played with and, you know, mostly love yep. and then they'll sleep they'll be satisfied. So then they'll sleep and it doesn't matter what time of the day. It makes so much sense. Yeah. And I really like that practice. It's about going back to basics. You know, I talk a lot about us being primitive and babies being primitive, like things that have been written in books and on blogs now haven't just been made up. Like, Mm. well, well, some of them are being made up and they're just not right. And they're Mm. putting women into a spin because they're trying to fit into this perfect image. So take four months sleep regression, for example. It doesn't exist. It's because of a few things that babies change their sleep. Mm -hmm. Babies don't regress. They actually progress. But putting this regression name on babies and, you know, I've read people saying, oh, my baby's now having an eight-month regression. I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) Some of the language used... Some of the language I don't even understand. I know. They'd be having regressions every month, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> My life is one big regression. Yeah, no, no. It's, it's just, you're right. It, and there's so much pressure, you know, to keep a baby asleep. And, and personally, I think one of the hardest things to do as a mum is trying to get a child to sleep who doesn't want to sleep. Yeah. And patting and shushing oh my does something to our brain doesn't it? Mm. Because with early parenting, our brain changes and because of sleep deprivation and certainly a hormonal change, there's a lot of things that happen. We can get sort of like quite OCD about um, about some issues. Mm -hmm. And we also can think about sort of really morbid things like imagine if my baby died or what would happen if my baby died or I fell down the stairs or... A lot of fear. It's not uncommon. But unless we have the conversation and say, you know what, it's quite normal for that to happen. It's not all postnatal depression. We go through such a significant change and we need... 
We need a lot of kindness. We need a lot of patience and understanding. And we need to give that to each other as women. Mm. And I feel very strong about that because I've looked after thousands of women, some women who are not happy or aggressive or something like that. You just sit and you work through the issues and we're all the same, Mm. you know. Giving birth and being a parent is very equalising. It's so true. And that's exactly the sort of experience that Kate and I have been exploring is that change in yourself and your emotions and your life when you first bring that baby home because there's so much Mm. focus on whether the baby's doing well, what the baby's doing, and yet there's so much hormonal and chemical change going on in the mum's brain. And that part of it is just not sort of recognised or talked about that much. I mean, it is if you're finding yourself in the right circles and you're doing your own research and you're exploring, but just sort of in society, it's not like a hugely recognised time and it's fucking hard. Well, the thing is, Soph, that it's what I really hate is that it's named baby brain. Yeah. It's like a negative connotation. Yeah. 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 Oh, they're so forgetful because they've got a baby. Oh, they're grumpy. They're not with it because they've got a baby. It's it's quite negative, isn't it? Instead of instead of recognize the actual change that your body has physically gone yeah. through and mm. you know and, mentally and us as being well. kind mm. yeah. to help. My mum was quite a progressive w- woman. She'd be 99 if she was alive. Uh, I'm the youngest of eight children and you know, she taught me a lot about parenting and Mm -hmm. about loving your child and, you know, having enough love in your heart for a lot of people. And if you're kind to mothers and and help them on the journey, you're nine-tenths of the way there. So I had her uh, telling me these things and it was always don't ever put women down. And I think because she was a feminist and she didn't even know that what that was, she taught me that we have to look after each other and that women, Mm. we do change. And even though our partners, fathers, partners, wives of our child, their body hasn't physically changed Mm. and they still love the child as much. Yeah. But we are different. And that's why I work so hard to help women because we've got to have the conversations. We've got to Mm. have the village and just the communication and I'm here for you is very important and it just helps women. And my mum used to say to me when I went nursing a midwifery and she said, tell every mother she's doing a good job and also tell them her baby is beautiful. And do you know what? <laughs> if you leave with that to everyone, and there are some ugly babies, but you know, but if you, if you, if you not really, but if you say that to women, they just they stand a little bit taller because there's nothing better than saying that re that reassurance. It's yeah, it's everything, hear. isn't yeah. it? You it really can yeah. make someone's day, I think, and give them confidence. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. good. So, Kath, I just wanted to go back to the breast milk versus formula conversation for a minute because Kate and I have discovered that it's a really common topic and it's a common discussion which involves a lot of shame too if people can't breastfeed for some reason or choose to give their baby formula, whatever the situation is. There seems to be a lot of sort of negativity and shame around it. So why do you think, you know, first of all, formula has such a bad reputation? Well, it's a long story and it goes back to 
well, at least the 70s, when mm-hmm. formula company went into Africa and gave babies formula and a lot died because the water was dirty. And uh-huh. so that sort of started, well, I was working at that in that time and, and it was like terrible, you know, very shocking. You never give your child formula. And so breastfeeding in the 70s, breastfeeding was just it. Yeah. You know, you had to breastfeed, which it is now, but there wasn't the pressures of everyone else making a comment. And to breastfeed, because we know it's natural and everyone can lactate, but not everyone can lactate enough for the growth and development of a child. So if we're all in mm-hmm. back in the cave, whoever had the most milk would actually feed the babies. And that's going back to our primitive yeah, life. It really it takes a village, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. It takes a village in the cave. Yeah. And so the partners are out hunting and collecting. And then wet nursing still was part of parenting. Um if people mm-hmm. couldn't or didn't want to lactate. And then pumps or expressing came into it because it was thought that if you actually express the milk, then you didn't have to give formula. So that's okay. Mm -hmm. But with that has come a lot of issues because if you get a lady on day one and start pumping her milk, or even now they're wanting it before you've come into hospital to express your colostrum. And remembering that sort of mindset that I was talking about of what the brain is like postnatally, this Mm -hmm. pumping can actually become obsessive. And trying to feed a baby and pump and care for yourself, it's virtually impossible. Mm -hmm. Someone misses out and unfortunately it's the partner and unfortunately it can be the baby. Not having that face-to-face with mum all the time and, you know, the time holding and, and loving. So, If a woman's expressing 12 times a day for a half an hour or 40 minutes, it's a big part of your day. Mm. And so that was helping women not feel so bad. And then it's actually got out of control (laughs) that women Mm. actually don't want to tell anyone that they're bottle feeding because people will shame them in the community. I mean, I breastfed my first Nina and I bottle fed for majority of Lulu's early life. And They've both thrived just as well as each other and, you know, I've had no issues with either of my two girls. So I think, yeah, it just shows that there is just so much unnecessary pressure that's put on us. And I think it interferes with the identity that you want as a mother and you want to be loving and you want to be caring and sharing. And if that's interrupted by a conversation around you about what you're doing is not right is very harmful to your self-esteem. So true. Most definitely. Mm. So, Kath, I know dads, let's talk about dads for a minute. Yeah. Because they play a role as well. I know dads can feel really, or some, can feel really useless during this early newborn stage. And there's also like a bit of a stigma around this as well. Like some dads maybe even using that as an excuse not to be that involved at that stage. Can you elaborate on this for us and share your ideas on what their input can be and what they can do at this time? Yeah. Well, certainly over four decades, I've watched men parent. And let me say, 
your generation is the luckiest <laughs> because the men in your life are really wanting to be part of it. It's part of their life. It's not what it used to be like, go out and work and come back and, you know, you have to have a meal on the table and that was a man's job and this was a mm. woman's job. It didn't happen in my family because it was just mm. everyone was equal. But it does have an impact on like how you were parented, mm -hmm. especially the men, how they were parented mm -hmm. and how they see their role as a partner. And, you know, I, I invented this BBB, which is a bath, bottle and bed, mainly The best because, thing ever, yeah. Kath, yeah. by the way. <laughs> we both have lived <laughs> because, by it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I knew that men can't do a lot. Really, they can change nappies and hold and do that. But it's also seen as our business, this pregnancy and birth and postnatal. But by giving them a part of the baby's life with bathing the baby, and I tell people through webinars all the time that I know a lot of mums that have never bathed their babies because their partner has done I may be one of them, I think. <laughs> I, think I have now I that they're so. older, but not as little newborn babies. No, and, and how good's that? And so by giving men a job or the choice or something to do a bath, to dress them, to wrap them and feed them a bottle, whether it's breast milk or formula, it gives them a role and it makes them feel good as people mm. because it's quite a different journey for them, especially when they're in labour with us and they they could be running a big, big company and then all of a sudden they are completely out of control in the labour room because they don't know what to do or say. They sort of feel like, oh, I don't know what to do and, oh, my God, it's all so scary. <laughs> but if you give them something to do, it increases their confidence and I think there's nothing better than a dad who has that beautiful time with their babies. Oh, it's so true. So, Soph and I are very much, you know, all about routines with our families. And obviously, as we touched on before, you know, when you have a newborn, a routine's not even, a, you know, a thing. But as our kids are a little bit older now, why do you think having a routine is so important for children? Well, they love it. They love the boundaries of it. Yeah, they they, they, do, they, they, they love to know. Yeah, they love to know what's happening. Even wrapping a baby, and you both know how I love that so much, they know that routine, that wrapping means they're going to be fed or they're going to bed. It becomes a security. So if you have a routine, whether it's a bath at six o'clock, uh, dinner and bath, and then story in bed, whatever it is, they know what's going to happen next. Mm. So when that routine's out of whack and something's happened, little children can't actually hold the distress of what's happening because they can't verbalise it. We also put a lot of pressure on younger children, especially if they're very vocal and they can talk a lot. They may be able to talk, but they don't understand complex issues. So when they hear about some anxiety, they can't work it out. So what they do is they get distressed or anxious. So it's about keeping that routine and saying the same things like, you know, when you're going to bed and it's just giving them the confidence. And we are the teachers, like babies are babies or children, but they have to have, we all have to have teachers. And so as parents, whatever routine we put our baby in is because of 
what we are doing. So mm. as mothers, that takes me back to how we need the village to teach women how to parent because you can say I just had a lady like last week her little boy was getting out of the cot they put the side of the cot up it was made into a little bed and I said well just do the passive settling the same way because he was getting out of the cot they're saying oh no he doesn't want to stay in bed I said no he needs to and to teach him he needs to stay to. in there you've got to teach him that's what your role is and two days later going to bed at 6.30, waking up at 6.30. You know, you can change behaviour, always change behaviour, but you've got to know what you're doing as parents. And that's why going around circles that parenting is so important because we've got to be able to know what we're doing and what we are actually saying to our children Mm. because they hear and they put it into their little mind what it is. And so it's about how we approach children and routines give them safety. They Mm. give them safety and they make them happy because they can be themselves. They don't have to think, oh, well, what's going to happen now? Like if someone comes in, that happens, there's a fight. I get anxious about it. So the routine gives them that comfort that they know what's the next step. Mm. Nina, my four-year-old is going through a phase of every night she wants the same amount of pages of her book that we're reading read. So it has to be four or four chapters every single night. And if you try and do three or five, no, it has to be four <laughs> because that's what we've done for the last two weeks. And she used to do it with how many books we'd read. And she sounds like she's picking up a little bit of her mum's OCD. Oh my God. Okay. I do love it. Actually, that's so true. I love the number four. You do I didn't everything think about in that. Fours. I don't know if that's a good thing. Really? Yeah. Oh, amazing. Got two more babies to have, Kate. Um, okay. Hang on. Slow down. Down a minute there. <laughs> I think Oof. you're so right though, Kath, the safety and comfort that you talk about that a routine brings your baby or your child. I feel personally that it's brought sort of safety and comfort to me as the mum and, and my partner Aiden as the dad as well, yeah. because we know, mm. oh, sorry, we enjoy knowing what's going to come next. And so does, so mm. does Honey. And mm. just those few little tools that we have created for her, like bedtime routine, for example, um, mm. you know, the sleep, the bath, the sleep suit, sort of telling her the same good night yep. words and good night stories, the bottle, the breastfeed, yeah, whatever yeah. it is that you choose. Yeah. We feel like we can then take that and then put her to bed somewhere else. But with that same routine gives her the comfort and it gives us the comfort mm. too. So I truly believe those words and use those tools myself and it's works for both kids and parents. What I think about with routines, if they don't have a routine at home or there's violence or issues at home Mm -hmm. and then they go to school and they might be bullied and have issues at school with learning and everything, can you imagine the distress? And this is why Mm. with all issues with sort of young adults, it has to go back to parenting. We've got to teach the skills right back down on day one Mm. and not sort of let the teachers... um, Mm. teach the skills. We've got to teach them the rules and the boundaries and all of those things that you do as a family because some kids aren't getting it at home and they're not getting it at school. Mm. So that just creates distress. Mm. And they go and do things that either medicate their distress or by violence repeating Mm. the distress. Yeah. Mm. 
it's also really important for your relationship as well, I think, to know that you're going to have that time together as a couple, you know, when your kids are in bed or when you're, you know, your baby's napping, yep. that you're going to get that time together. And then also that time to yourself as well, especially when you have a young baby, you know, and when they're napping, you know that you're going to have some time to kind of do the things that you need to do as well. So I think it's really important. And, there, and there's sort of like some times that, you know, they might stay up. I can remember... Yeah. Clearly, as a little girl singing um, Old Lang Syne at, at New Year's Eve at Sorrento, I thought it was just, you know, amazing. <laughs> I might have been about three or four, but I felt like I was about 20 because I was up with the adults, you know. That's and so cute, Kath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's things like that that would sort of like those little things that you can do out of the routine yeah. that are good. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like little They become little a bit of a, that, a novelty and excitement. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and kids love that too because it creates memories and that's what we need to do mm. as parents is to create happy and positive memories for our children because mm. as you grow up, if you relate back to sad things, it actually comes back to you when you become a parent. Those issues raise up and you're confronted with them in your early parenting and can be very destructive to your mind. And it's not always, I've got postnatal mm. depression is issues. It's always, I mean, I've always taught my son, there is a story behind everyone. You know, you can't just assume everyone's had a childhood like no. you and to respect people because some people have gone through a lot of things that we haven't been through, you know, and it causes a lot of pain in their life. Absolutely. Kath, we could seriously hang around and talk to you all day. Like I hours on end. I don't want to let you go, but <laughs> yeah. I know you're a busy woman and you've got you've Thank got to get you on so with much. your day. But I just wanted to yeah. ask you one more question before before we do let you go. Yeah. If you could say one thing to new mums and dads now, right now, what would that be? Enjoy. Enjoy every day. Enjoy every day. Do you know what? As I said before, my son's twenty seven next Monday. He's married. And I certainly did think he was going to be 50 and still living with me. And even though I'm so happy that he's a well-settled young man, it's gone in a, uh, like it's just gone, yeah. you know. And to enjoy every day and to sit in that day and think, you know, I love you and I'm giving you the best I can because mm, we do. beautiful. Thank you for that yep. reminder. I'm going to go and squish Huddy's cheeks harder than ever. I'm going to go down and play with this sand outside with my two-year-old <laughs> and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We really do. Thank so, you so thanks much, Thanks so Kath. much, ladies. How great was that chatting with Kath so? Yeah, she's really just so reassuring. It just reminded oh, me of, of those times when I was calling on her for reassurance and she's just so comforting. And sometimes I feel like when you have a new baby, you feel like even your friends that have babies or your own mom or your own sister or whoever it may be, sometimes you just feel like maybe they don't actually want to hear about my baby anymore. And midwife Kath will always listen. I know. And she'll always make you feel confident, make you feel like you're doing, you know, will reassure you that you're doing a great job. And for me, she always was able to fix any issues that I was having. And she always does it with such a happy and such a loving vibe. Mm. So mm, how mm. lucky are we mm. or anyone that gets to come across 
Kath. Mm. So we could have kept talking to her for hours. Literally. We really could have. But I think now it is time to get into sharing is caring. I'm very eager to hear what you have to share with us today. So, Well, I thought it was only appropriate to share something suitable for that newborn baby phase. And this is a product that you actually recommended to me at the time, like every like every baby product actually. <laughs> so this really <laughs> should be your segment today. I hate pushing things on people, but this product, I know what you're going to talk about now. Mm. This product I really loved. I used it for both my girls. It was great, so I had to share it. But no, I will not take over your segment. Take it away, babe. Tell us about the Cocooner Baby. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's called the Cocooner Baby. It's by a French company called Red Castle. And it's basically like this cute little ergonomically cocoon designed mattress. And I believe they design it to use within your baby's bassinet or cot for the first few months of their lives. And the idea of it is that it's shaped in a way that's really sort of comforting and nurturing once they've come out of the womb. There's like a heap of medical and safety recommendations to sleep babies on their backs these days, as you know, and as every new mum would or dad would know. So this sort of like semi-fetal position of the design allows the babies to feel, yeah, really safe and, and comforted. And it really did work for us. Do you know what else I loved about it? So my daughter Lulu had reflux and the cocooner baby has a 20 degree incline. So it may help limit reflux by the way of gravity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. So, you know, you're still following the medical recommendation of keeping the newborn baby on their back, Mm. but there is that slight angle which can really help. Well, I found it helped for me with Lulu's reflux. And I also really loved that it keeps the baby really secure as they're strapped in. Yeah, huge peace of mind because it's super safe. But I think a lot of people do struggle with their newborns and and sleeping them on their backs all the time, especially refluxy babies. Um, But there's such a, you know, huge push and sort of safety recommendation that you have to do that. So for those babies that do have upset stomachs and they don't like being on their back, it can be a really challenging time. So something like this can just be really helpful. It's also made from really nice quality materials. It's nice and soft, isn't it's it? It's really nice and soft. I don't think they're cheap, but in saying that, I was lucky I, I borrowed mine, not from you actually, because yours was out on lend to another girlfriend of ours. <laughs> but I, I think mine is still going around, all of our girlfriends yeah, actually. Yeah, but I'm not sure who has it. I also still swaddled my babies in there to stop the startle reflux. Yeah, yeah, I did that too. Swaddled honey and put her in it. And um, yeah, they're so cozy. And, you know, by the way, guys, this is a completely unsponsored. Yeah. <laughs> we just love this product. We'll tell anyone that wants to listen. Yeah, I think once you find something good that works for you, it's just worth sharing. That's all. And it worked for both Kate and I. And we know that it's worked for a whole heap of our other friends as well. So that's it for today. That's my sharing is caring, the little cocooner baby. Amazing. Well, let's wrap it up. I've really enjoyed chatting with you today, but also with midwife Kath. That was so awesome. Yeah, and it was amazing. That is another episode done and dusted. Yeah. All right. So great to chat to you. I will see you soon. I'll see you soon. Bye for now. That was so lovely catching up with Kath. You can head to incommonprojects.com.au for the show notes and to learn more about Kath. Make sure you hit subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Talking In Common. And as always, thanks for listening.